Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. To get them to stop speaking. Yeah, and, and furthermore, Danny, they do make exceptions. The judge makes exceptions for, for national security and criminal activity. But isn't there a fine line when it comes to national security specifically, especially when we're talking about elections here? The fact that election, uh, you know, the, the full faith that the American public has in elections could be undermined. Couldn't that potentially be a national security threat? Of course. And really, one of the core issues here is when and how often and to what degree can a government agency and specifically the White House or maybe the Surgeon General or some other government agency, uh, to what degree can they contact a private social media company and put some pressure on to advance their message? Never. Next question. I mean, that's what this story is about. A huge, huge ruling from a district court judge saying that without question what the White House has been doing and what others have been doing, utilizing the full force of government to try and pressure social media companies. And don't let people say this. Don't let people say that. Don't let them say the other. That is not allowed. A 155-page ruling it is from this judge saying that the Biden administration and others most likely violated the First Amendment. And if you want an actual definition of fascism, here you go. Government colluding with, with, uh, with corporations to have an effect on the people. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on, everybody? 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. That, that is, uh, that's how you get to be a part of the show. Wall Street Journal has a story. Everybody has the story. This U.S. District Judge by the name of Terry Dowdy bars White House officials and multiple federal agencies from contacting social media companies. With the purpose, of course, of suppressing political views. This has to do with the idea of misinformation. And this is the conversation that you're hearing now from these attorneys who are guests on MSNBC. What if it is uh, uh, vaccinations, the importance of vaccinations? And to what degree can there be consequences for the company not doing what the White House wants? Of course, there are exceptions for national security. There are exceptions for threats and other criminal activity. But here, uh, maybe a narrower issue for us to consider in the future is to what degree can the White House, even if that agenda is for ostensibly public health, to what degree can they engage in a pressure campaign uh, on Facebook? Facebook, Twitter, other social media companies to advance their message, even if their message is backed up by uh, medicine and science. And then afterwards, perhaps more importantly, what kinds of consequences can they imply or otherwise suggest might happen to those who don't listen? In a free society, your message does not have to be backed up by science or medicine. You're allowed to give an opinion and a thought. And if we were going to tell people that they can't give out opinions that aren't backed up by science or medicine, 
Well, then how the hell did the CDC get to give out any information considering how bad they were with the science and the medicine? But let's get back to this subject of misinformation. I'm sure what's going to ultimately come from this is a very nuanced and responsible conversation online about the implications of this judge's ruling. And I'm being sarcastic if you can't tell. Because you're not supposed to look at social media as a way of getting all your information. You might hear something there and then you actually go look it up. If it's a conversation about medicine, I ask my doctor. I'm going to trust the people on Twitter. The people on Twitter are schmucks. Follow me, by the way, at Tony Katz. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust the people on Facebook. You know, Facebook has a new uh, social media platform coming out called Threads, which is going to connect to Instagram, and it's meant to be like Twitter, a microblogging uh, service. Oh, Twitter screwing everything up. Elon Musk is, is not allowing people to look at every tweet. He's, he's limiting the number of tweets that you can look at. And then, of course, uh, you're going to have to start paying for TweetDeck and this and that. Oh, it's a great opportunity for, for Facebook. Sure, whatever you say. Great. Great. They told me Twitter was going to fall apart if it was under Elon Musk's control. It's still there. And now everyone's going to move to this new site, Threads, because the left will control it. And Zuckerberg and, and company will still work at trying to keep people from being able to engage. So the people who decide that they've got the right information can still put out the misinformation because nobody will be allowed to question them because those people will be deemed as misinformers. Perfect. This ruling from this judge is extremely important, as you can see. But if we're going to get into a misinformation conversation, can we talk about Jen Psaki, who is an absolutely terrible host? Now, I never enjoyed Jen Psaki as White House press secretary. I thought she was um, very, very condescending. Compared to Corinne Jean-Pierre, Jen Psaki is a revelation an absolute goddess to whom we should give our eternal thanks compared to Corinne Jean-Pierre. She is just tops, as the kids would say, super neato and wicked keen. Hold on, wait, this just in. The kids have never said that. Huh, that must have been misinformation. See, that works. She is on MSNBC hosting her show that I don't know if anybody watches, talking about the old GOP playbook, the grand old playbook she's talking about it. And this piece that I'm going to share with you has gotten a lot of respect from Ro Kahana, progressive from California, saying a brilliant commentary by Jen Psaki of how the GOP is pitting Muslim Americans against the trans community. The Republicans are doing what now? Oh, you want to hear about misinformation? Check this out. So lately I've been noticing the reemergence of a very old GOP playbook that harkens back to President Richard Nixon's infamous Southern strategy. During his campaign for president in 1968, the Republican Party made a concerted effort to reach white Southerners who used to vote for Democrats by playing to their fears of African-Americans and the civil rights movement. And it worked. 
By pitting one group of Americans against another, the GOP successfully managed to split off Southern whites from the Democratic Party. Now, decades later, the right wing is reviving that same playbook, this time with Muslim Americans and trans people. Take a moment. Take a moment to just breathe in this idea that the Republican Party, the Republican Party somehow is able to connect now inexplicably with Muslim Americans and get them to go after trans people. Well, first, you'd have to think, wait a second, the political right is going after trans people. Wait, that's not true. That's misinformation right from the start. Let it be said now as clear as day that the political right has never actually ever gone after trans people. As a matter of fact, nobody who is transgender was even on our radar. Oh, sure, there could have been a conversation here and there about whether or not RuPaul's Drag Race is something that should be on TV. I'm sure somebody had that conversation. Oh, and I'm sure somebody used a pejorative when talking about transgender Americans before. But going after? Never mind, they don't have a definition of going after. It wasn't a conversation. It was not in the lexicon. It never got brought up at CPAC. Never. As a matter of fact, nobody was discussing any of these things until the political left decided to tell kids they can choose their gender and we won't tell your parents. Shh, it'll be our little secret. And that's when parents said, wait, what? And that's when the left said, oh, look, the right's starting a culture war. And then, of course, they kept going and trying to confuse kids and empower teachers to not let parents know what's happening with their children. I'll get, I have a whole story about this to get into uh, about a professor from the University of Indianapolis. My gosh. You, you want to know how much we've been, like, over the target on these subjects? Just wait for it. So nobody was going after anybody who was trans. Nobody! It was the left bringing it into schools and parents saying, what is this? And then the left scre- started screaming, culture war. But what is this about the political right and Muslims? Hear me out here. The GOP is trying to recruit Muslim Americans, a community that makes up less than 2% of the U.S. population, against another tiny marginalized group of Americans, transgender people. It's important to remember that back in 2011, during the Republican primary, the right wing had designated Muslim Americans as public enemy number one. Now, I won't argue that as we were discussing terrorism, there was a huge conversation uh, about Muslims coming in uh, to the country. There was a huge conversation regarding uh, whether or not uh, Sharia was uh, was not necessarily coming to the U.S., but what Sharia really was. And of course, Sharia is pure evil. As, as a political system, as in anything, Sharia is pure evil. If you want to change people's opinions on Sharia in America, we'll have Sharia for a week. Sharia for a week. We'll see how Jen Psaki does. But notice how she states this. And if you are Muslim, I think you're right in being offended. Out here. 
The GOP is trying to recruit Muslim Americans, a community that makes up less than 2% of the U.S. population, against another tiny marginalized group of Americans, transgender people. That's Jen Psaki equating Muslims to transgender community. Muslim Americans have certainly been engaged in people looking, possibly questioning, possibly askew, possibly, oh, since September 11th. I don't argue that. I argue that in a country that was attacked by radical Islamic jihadists, which we were, and I will never change my definitions on this ever, You didn't see five million mosques set on fire. You didn't see it. Because it's not who we are. And if we saw something happen, we thought it was disgusting because our neighbor is not our enemy. But radical Islamists are. And still are, by the way. And the Taliban still is. And ISIS still is. And Boko Haram would be, etc., But Muslims in the United States are not like the transgender community. Why would you why would you even begin to say so? And if you talk about the political right and uh Muslims in twenty eleven, you're that that's totally fine. But is your argument now, as Jen Psaki wants to make the argument, that first the right was going after Muslims, and now they're going after the transgender community? You see, they always want to take a group, a marginalized group, and create scare tactics and make you afraid of them. But again, this is predicated on the idea that the right is going after people who are transgender, to the, even to the extent that there's a transgender community. Can we stop for a moment? This is not factual. This is misinformation. This shouldn't be allowed on Twitter. Because the transgender community doesn't exist. (gasps) Oh, Tony, you did not just say that. You did not just say that, Tony. No, you did not. Yeah, I most certainly did. The transgender community does not exist. The cat's stealing you. The officer's shucking you, I told him. You got the right ta-ta, but the wrong ho-ho. The very concept of the transgender community is not about people. It's about a political movement. Just like you see uh, LGBTQ+. Did you know that in Canada, they changed it? It's no longer LGBTQIA. That that doesn't that doesn't that's not it. They actually changed the terminology. They changed it to 2SLGBTQI. Or it might have changed again. 2SLGBTQI. What in the world is it 2S? Two spirit 
But it doesn't matter what letters they use because the letters will change at any moment and at any time to fit whatever the political need is of the moment because the entirety of the situation and this so-called community is nothing more than a political movement predicated on the idea that Western civilization, as is, is no good. It's a political movement meant to destroy. It's a political movement meant to break. Meant to break whom? Well, the nuclear family. Uh, Meant to break Western civilization. Meant to break norms of all kinds, including the recognition that men are not women and women are not men. It has done such a good job that we have Supreme Court justices that can't tell you what a woman is because they're not a biologist. So, dear Lord, we have got misinformation on misinformation when it comes from Jen Psaki right here. And I've got Congress, members of Congress saying, wow, how brilliant. The reason that Muslim Americans are speaking out about the quote-unquote trans community is because in their own views and in their own religion, they see this as wrong. They see what's happening in the schools as wrong. They see the attack on their children in schools as wrong, in culture as wrong, and they're standing up to it. The right hasn't recruited anyone the right is not smart enough to recruit anyone. We've seen this many times. This is Jen Psaki saying about Muslims, how dare you? This is an attack from Saki on Muslims. That's what it is. Everything else is just pablum. I'm Tony Katz. In Pennsylvania, the Democratic governor, Josh Shapiro, uh, it's being reported that he's got the votes from House Democrats to pass school choice. I'm sorry, a Democrat is passing school choice? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Um, yeah. This is fascinating. If, if uh, I, This is his quote. I believe every child of God deserves a shot here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And one of the best ways we can guarantee their success is making sure every child has a quality education. I've been very clear that I'm open to that concept that you described a moment ago. He's talking to Dana Perino on Fox News. But I've also made crystal clear that I won't take a dollar out of public schools in order to achieve that. Now, I would believe money should follow uh, the student and not the system, uh, neither here, here nor there. How interesting that there's going to be movement in this regard and the recognition that uh, you, you have Democrats saying, you know what, maybe there's a better way. Because maybe there's a better way. I will keep up with that, and I will dig into this tomorrow, where you've got Disney, Netflix, and a host of others getting rid of their DEI executives. Remember diversity, equity, and inclusion? You got people stepping down, leaving, not being renewed. You know why? Because none of it works. DEI is about bigotry. It is about teaching people to hate one another. 
There is no need for it in business. What did we say a few months ago? Five years from now, it won't exist in in uh, corporate America. But of course, there'll always be a few who keep it because they're fools. It's all a scam. It's all a sham. And woke Hollywood is noticing. Huh. What do you know about that? I'll get into it tomorrow. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. They won't be children forever. And even now, they deserve to have rights of their own. I read that in the pages of the Indianapolis Star. All right, admittedly, I read it online. And I said, oh my, does this miss the mark? And normally something can miss the mark and you pay it no mind, but when it's an opinion piece from an assistant professor of physics and earth-space science at the University of Indianapolis, you realize that there's a problem at play. And the problem is is that you and I have been right. The effort to cleave children from their parents and the blame put upon parents Well, that's the reason the children aren't safe. It's the parents. That's the reason uh, that trans children are unsafe. It's the parents. The absolute attack on parents and parenthood and on Western civilization. This is the issue of our time. And it's a weird thing to say because you can always point to an issue of our time. It's just how does this not rank near or at the top. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Good to be back. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This piece is in the Indie Star. It's an opinion piece. Parents' rights debate missing key piece. Kids' right to learn to be free thinkers. And the article states that parents' rights have been widely discussed in local, state, and national debates around education in recent years. The Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita, has released a Parents' Bill of Rights, which specifies that parents, quote, have a constitutional right to direct the upbringing and education of their child in the manner they see fit. But the professor continues, Many of these bills and discussions, however, crucially forget that the higher obligation in education is not to the parent, but to the child themselves. She continues then to say we have a collective community responsibility to ensure that that children's education is not determined by or dependent upon the whims of a few, but instead is truly preparing children for a future as independent, free-thinking citizens in a world beyond their parents' control and vision. In our communities, she writes, we need to work together to collectively ensure that children's rights to education are what is privileged in our schools and laws. Every single thing you have thought about education today, every single thing you have thought about uh, these instructors, these unions, these progressives who want to cleave the parents from the child is 100% true. This is exactly, exactly, let me say it again, exactly what people like Joe Biden we're saying when they said, you know, your kids belong to all of us. It's, it's uh, Hillary Clinton saying it takes a village. That specific line, by the way, uh, your kids belong to all of us, was Melissa Harris Perry. Do you remember those ads from um, MSNBC 
Your kids belong to all of us. I remember those ads. I remember her saying that, and you were like, what in the world is she talking about? What kind of commentary is this? It was ahead of its time for the progressives. They weren't ready to really engage and break this down. But here now is a professor at the University of Indianapolis who wants you to know that your kids aren't your kids. Your kids belong to all of us. Therefore, we have the right to teach them. And you don't even know how to teach them because when you teach them, they'll be closed-minded bigots. That's why they need us. They need us in order to ensure they have a real education that teaches them about all the things we determined are important because after all, we're the experts. We are the experts. Your children can't possibly just learn from you. Your children can't possibly know what's best if you're the ones who teach them. Therefore, we have to teach them. We have to be the ones. It's really disgusting. It is truly horrific, this thought process, this point of view, but you understand how great this thought process and point of view is because the objective is not to teach the kid. The objective is to rip the kid from the parents cleave the child from the parents end the responsibility of parents altogether and i say this very directly about sarah reynolds assistant professor of physics and earth space science at the university of indianapolis also a public voices fellow with the op-ed project i'm not familiar with the op-ed project but the line i read you at the first was how she ended the piece She writes, our children, just like our neighbors, may not choose to be like us in the end, but our commitment to freedom and independence requires of us that we ensure their rights even when when the result may differ from our own desires. Whether you are a parent, an aunt, a grandfather, or simply a community member, please consider how you can advocate for a rich and robust education that equips children to navigate the challenges of recognizing and responding to multiple voices in society to confront hard truths about our history and in our world, and to be capable of forming and defending their own opinion rather than yielding to the pressure of peers, family, or friends. She finishes by saying, they won't be children forever, and even now, they deserve to have rights of their own. First, understand that uh, Professor Reynolds here doesn't believe in childhood. What rights does a child have? A child needs to be protected more often than not from themselves. And here, once again, is this preposterous and dangerous argument saying that children should have rights of their own. No, they should not. They should be protected. This is Professor Reynolds saying that children should have no protection, uh, no parental protection whatsoever. They should be ours to do with what we choose because after all, they have rights, don't you know? And we have to teach them that, of course, there are nine million genders when that's not the case. We have to teach them that they can choose their own gender when no, you do not let children make such decisions that can harm them for the rest of their lives. They can take 
They can take drugs. They can have surgeries. And if we're not discussing the idea of transgenderism, how about a myriad of political beliefs and philosophical conversations where they're saying, Reynolds is saying that the parents should have no say. If the kid comes home and I say, what'd you learn in school today, little Johnny? And little Johnny says, well, I learned that communism is really important, making everybody you know, equal because equality is what matter, matters most. And I say to the child, well, uh, communism doesn't actually do that. It actually pushes everybody to the bottom and doesn't create equality. It creates a power structure by which a very few people are able to control, manipulate a large numbers of people, not only through lies, but through force, including death. And my kid goes back, little Johnny goes back to the school and says, well, my dad says, all of a sudden I'm not uh, allowed to have that conversation because I'm interfering with their education. Of course I'm interfering with their education. If you want to teach that to my kid, your education sucks. It's my job to interfere. It is my job to provide perspective for my child. Eventually my child becomes a grown-up and makes their own decisions. But you better damn well believe that my job is to impart upon my child values that a school never can because I've met these teachers and I have read the writings of Sarah Reynolds and she's not qualified. Sarah Reynolds, professor, assistant professor of physics and earth-based science at the University of Indianapolis, does not have the capacity to properly educate my young child when it comes to conversations about morality because she doesn't believe that parents should have a say at all. How possibly could she have some level of moral center that I could be fine with? This brings us to Gabriel Boslett. Gabriel Boslett puts out a tweet that says, this is a terrific piece. Controlling what your kids learn is not what parenting is about. Parenting is about equipping your kids with the tools to understand the world, which is complex and messy and gray. Tony? Yeah, hey, what's up? Uh, Who the hell is Gabriel Boslett? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I I buried the lead. Gabriel Boslett, according to his Twitter feed, is, is a dad? and a doctor, and the assistant dean of faculty development at IU Med School. The assistant dean of faculty at IU Med School. This guy in charge of hiring uh, those who educate uh, the doctors because we already know that the doctors aren't getting educated when it comes to medicine. They're getting educated when it comes to wokeness and people are absolutely going to die if we have an entire medical establishment from sea to shining sea that doesn't focus on actually dealing with the issue the patient has but is more worried about whether or not they're using the proper pronoun. Patient is on the table. The patient is dying. The doctor surmises that the patient has a condition that needs this treatment and says to the patient, patient, sir, we're going to take care of you. And the patient says, I don't use that pronoun. I demand to see an administrator. What should happen at that moment? Should the doctor be more concerned about the condition the patient has or the pronoun that the patient wants used? If you are incapable or unwilling to rank those things, you cannot be a doctor and you cannot be my doctor. You shouldn't be allowed near patients. You're unserious. My father for years, for years, has been describing this condition amongst the political left by saying the following. You're in your apartment. You're on the third floor. 
there is an axe murderer at the door, utilizing the axe to break down the door, trying to bust in to kill you. You go to the phone. Picture it the old days when there was actually a phone on a, on a, on a nightstand. You go to the phone, and as you are dialing 911, you notice out the window that the street light is out. The police say, what is your emergency? What do you do? It was to, to illustrate the idea that for people on the political left, they don't really rank the things that are truly important in a way that would make sense. They do it based on, on uh, ego. They do it based on virtue signaling. They do it based on, on wokeness, but they don't do it based on what really, really matters. And what really matters is someone's breaking the door trying to kill you. What really matters is that you have a condition that's going to kill you if the doctor doesn't take care of it. But if you're more concerned about the pronoun, you're going to die. I would tell this to any doctor anywhere at any time. I would laugh at a, I would laugh at a doctor who told me that the pronoun was more important. I would laugh at them. I would laugh at them in front of their their wife or their husband, their spouse, their kids, their mima out loud. I would call them the dumbest person who ever came across society. And that's saying a lot. Because there's a lot of really, really dumb people out there. But what does it say when Gabriel Boslett, the assistant dean of faculty development at IU Med School, who utilizes pronouns in his own description there, in his own bio on Twitter, what does it say when he agrees with this idea, parents' rights debate missing key piece, kids' right to learn to be free thinkers? And by the way, the story is as written uh, by the Indie Star in terms of how you search for it. Parents' rights don't outweigh kids' right to independent education. Meaning parents don't get a say in their kids' education. Of course, this is wrong. Every part of this is wrong. In every way, this is wrong. You are responsible for your kids' education. Does that mean that your kids shouldn't learn math? Of course not. You may not know how to teach your kid physics, but your kid's ready for physics. Let them learn physics. The issue here is not that they hear something that you may disagree with. It's not that they may ask a question about something you disagree with. I think your kid should be exposed to a whole bunch of things. I, I believe in this. But in the end, you're in charge, not the teacher, not the administration, not the school district, and not this professor nor this dean. Now, in the college world, we can argue things are different, but we're not talking about the college world. We're talking about two people who work in the college world who actually want to tell you in, in the world of high school and middle school and elementary school that you shouldn't have a say. Uh, pay them no mind. Their degrees did not give them clearly the intellect necessary to understand parenthood. And they may be parents themselves. And if they choose to abdicate their responsibility, I cannot help that. But they have no right to tell you that you have to abdicate your responsibility, that you should abdicate your responsibility, that you are wrong for engaging your responsibility. You are in every way right. I believe in a full, well-rounded education that history should teach the good, the great, and the bad, and the ugly of America. That science should teach the whole I don't want education in drips and drabs. I want it to be complete and robust. But I want parents checking their kids' homework. 
And I want parents imparting their values on their children. And hopefully they're good values. These are important things. The family does matter. And the teacher is not a replacement for family. What a shameful write-up. What a shameful support. And a real issue that they're now bringing uh, to, to the rest of us. Exactly. What, where does the teacher think that they somehow know better than the parent? What is this constant attack on parents? That's a subject I will get into. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Full disclosure, I have not yet seen the Barbie movie. Full disclosure, I probably won't until it comes to Netflix or something like that. It's going to be there, and I'm going to watch five minutes and say, okay, what am I watching? But this story is about China and Barbie. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Uh, uh, Barbie, it's it's Ryan Gosling. It, it's, really, it's Margot Robbie. It's a Margot Robbie vehicle. Um, the movie is being banned in Vietnam because it features a map showing China's claims to the South China Sea. And that might include the territory of other nations. Wait, so so never mind all the feminist conversations about Barbie. Never mind how it depicts women and, and is, it, it does, does it engage conversations of, of transgenderism and, and this and that and going after young women. I, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. It shows a map. The nine-dash line shown on the map represents China's claim to a vast section of the waters fought over by Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, Brunei, the Philippines, and Taiwan. So all of a sudden, uh, Barbie is going to go the way of the interview. It's going to create real anger. But you know as well as I do, this is about ensuring distribution for the movie in China, which is pretty disgusting on the part of Warner Brothers. This is Tony Katz Today. Today.